0: Welcome back to Word Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, Phil, Stanley, Margot, all coming to you from Chateau LaPanta or Villa La, Villa LaPanta? We'd go Villa. Right, we'll we're go Italian, Villa. not French. Yep, yep, that's true. Um, well, November 21st and November 28th, our next live shows. The Tuttle's Looking forward to that. Uh, November 21st, November 28th, 7 p.m. So definitely come on t- out to that. It's been a while since we did a live show. We were at Split Rocks last time. It was a packed house. We'd love to see everybody out um, at Tuttles, um, let's not waste any time. Let's get to the news of this team, uh, wild coming off a couple of, uh, tough losses in a row. Um, you know, came home. It really blew that game against the San Jose Sharks uh, lost in a shootout, at least got a point, but uh, you know, definitely a frustrating loss, I think for a lot of the players in, in Nashville. Um, and then you get the bad news this morning, we show up to practice Mark Andre Fleury isn't on the ice and it's very clear afterwards. It's not a maintenance day. Um, not only is uh He definitely sidelined. They bring Zane McIntyre up, but they put him on injury reserve, which means he's going to miss at least a week. And um, from what I can hear, uh, they are not sure yet if it's going to be a long-term injury, which is not a good thing.
1: No, especially with how well he's been playing. The goaltending for Minnesota, which was a concern in the first three or four games of the year, has turned out to be a major strength, and Fleury's been a big reason for that. I thought he was terrific in the game in Nashville on Tuesday night and had been terrific his last few starts. So now it's Gustafson's going to have to carry the load for a while. Gustafson's been good. I know that the second goal in the game against San Jose is one he'd like to have back, but prior to that, he had been outstanding in that game. The only other goal that beat him that night was on a third rebound chance at the side of the net for Lorenz. But he's going to have to step up, and this is what we talked about at the beginning of the year, was in this day and age in the NHL, your backup goalie, isn't just a guy you throw in there for 20 games. he's a guy that you're going to have to have start 25 to 30 and you're
0: going to have to have him win some games and that's what Gustafsson is going to have to do He is a one, one he's one, one, one in his last three. That came out like applesauce. A uh, 1 1 and 1 in his last three with a 9.47 save percentage, 164 goals against average, playing well. I think the biggest thing, like this is going to be an opportunity for him right now. And the good news for the Wilds is they don't have back to backs coming up anytime really soon. Um, Seven game homestand, so he's going to be able to get his footing. I think the thing he has to give up, though, uh, or get away from, is what you just said the goals that he wants to have back. I mean, th- that's sort of been his MO in his career. Is that he makes these unbelievable, incredible saves in a game, keeps his team in a game, and then just goes up a, a crummy one. And that's something that he is going to have to give up. I don't totally blame him on the second goal the other night by Nico Sturm. I mean, it was you know, uh, it was a really good play by Sturm to use Merrill as a screen and put it between his legs, and clearly he lost the puck. But even Dean said today, which Dean you know is loath to ever criticize his players, let alone his goaltenders, he said it was a puck that that needed to be stopped. It's, you
1: have to stop that puck yeah. from that spot on the ice. And I actually was I meant to go back and look the next day to find out what the expected goal probability was on that shot you know we use analytics a lot when we're talking about expected goals and all of those kind of things and and I went back and looked and the the expected goal the likelihood of a goal was 1.4% wow. on that shot so that tells you that 98.6% of the time that puck is saved.
0: And does that take into account the screen by the player? It takes everything
1: it, into account. Yeah. It takes into account the where it was on the ice. It takes into account the amount of traffic. It takes into account how long before the previous shot occurred or how whether or not they were coming in on a rush with either – equal manpower if it's an odd man rush or an even man rush situation it's uh, yeah I don't know how they can calculate how close it came to a defenseman's leg but they are taking into account that it was an even man situation that the shot came from the basically the half board and 1.4 percent and I I trust those expected goals and I trust the analytics they've studied it and have come up with a formula that it's Crazy how many times when you get done after a game and you go back and look at what their expected goals for were, and it's close to what you feel like your eye test gave you for the game. And so in that case, 1.4% chance for that puck to go in.
0: Um, Fleury, uh I mean, I know that our job is never to assume and, and speculate and all that type of stuff, um, but clearly he was falling on a couple times last night, so... Um, you know, that's the biggest concern is it structural. Yeah, the only thing I would concussion? say is that he
1: finished the game. Yeah. So if it was something really severe, you would think that if it happened in a collision or somebody falling on him that it would have been quick and immediate that you would have at least seen him Grimace. get up slow or get looked at by the trainer. The only play I really remember was the one where he got he got hit fell backward and clunked his head on the on the post, but he didn't show any signs of it. Yeah. The NHL concussion spotters didn't say, Hey, we gotta go look at him. It would be all speculation. Yeah.
0: And uh, and I, kn- I know that uh, Joe Smith, who's the only reporter that covered the game yesterday from Twin Cities, uh, saw him in the locker room yesterday after the game and didn't see anything obvious. And and uh, he was just there, not with a trainer or anything like that. So maybe he just, as you just sort of alluded, that maybe he just woke up today not feeling great. Could um, be.
1: And, and then to say that you're going to put him on injured reserve, and it's a, yes, it's a week, Obviously, it can go retroactive to last night's mm-hmm. game. You've got games Thursday and Saturday, and and that would put him in a spot where he'd be ready to come back the, the next game after that. So maybe you just say, let's just not take any chances. We'll sit him for a week, and Gustafson was going to play one of these two games anyway. We just let him play
0: both. Right. Um, and usually, if it is, again, we don't want to speculate, but usually if it is a concussion, you want to have seven days there. That's usually the NHL, what's supposed to be. Uh, the protocol. Um, where to go with yesterday's game? Because, you know, I know all the analytics with positive and the wild felt they outplayed them and all that stuff. But I, I saw it differently. I, I I saw a team that had some major flaws that were exposed last night, particularly size. Um, you know, it just felt like especially the 10 in line early in the game. Um, it just felt like their defensemen were getting swarmed, um, that they're chances in the offensive zone they weren't really penetrating the middle and things like that i know they had the puck a lot i will say i was impressed the way that they stood up to it you know they answered back with some fights but they answered back also showing they didn't cower it didn't turn out to be a blowout game where they were completely overwhelmed but um to me it was concerning uh you know that 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 they just seemingly against that team in particular Which is a playoff-style team that you would play in the playoffs? Big, strong, fast games that they just looked to me exposed last night.
1: I thought Nashville controlled the first ten minutes Mm -hmm. with the way that you're talking about. Maybe the first fifteen, and they did come. They're the they have more hits than any team in the league. They're number four in the league in terms of hit differential, which eliminates. It is amazing how they
0: finish every check.
1: They do, and that their big line with Trenton, Jankowski and Janot is a legit. Big physical heavy line, and let's not forget the Wilder still without Jordan Greenway, who would have given them a line that could have answered those guys. But I thought that once Middleton fought with Smith, the game changed. Mm-hmm. And it Addison had gotten run a couple times prior to that, Spurgeon had gotten hit a couple times, Rossi had been hit a couple times, and it really put an end to it and it really changed it so. I think, the I as I mentioned, I went back and I did look at the analytics. And five-on-five, five, I thought Minnesota had the better of the play, but I thought it was basically an even game where neither team really generated much. In fact, the expected five-on-five five goals in the game were like yep. 1.8 to 1.4, which is a relatively low number combined for the two teams. And the shot attempts in the game were 73 to 44 in Minnesota's favor. That was part of the reason why the hits favored nashville by almost two to one because minnesota had the puck for most of the last two periods the hits were 10 10 in the first period then they were 33 to 12 in nashville's favor in the second and third because they didn't have the puck so i thought minnesota did i thought they responded well i thought the first 15 minutes belonged to nashville and the last 45 minnesota was just as good or better and the difference was they just could not cash in on the power play chances. They yeah. had They had five of them, should yeah. have probably had seven, and just couldn't cash in.
0: Yeah, there were some interesting moments in the game. I rewatched it uh, this afternoon, too. One was the double minor that Brandon Duhame drew, which was a wasted opportunity, obviously, by not scoring there at the end of the period. Really should have been a five-on-three with a delayed start to the second penalty because Adam Beckman had his helmet ripped off right in front of the ref, right. staring right at it. Number forty-eight, we a the rookie ref, it.
1: he was staring right at it, and we had just had it in the San Jose game yeah, day where before. they said it was. It's a we absolutely have to call it if you pull the helmet off of the opposing Thirl. player. It's a it's a penalty. There's we there is no judgment involved, mm-hmm. and the guy pulled Beckman's helmet off and. I think it was a referee who was afraid to say, we're about to give you a double minor. We can't make it five on three for two minutes. And its I, we've talked about this before. It's my biggest pet peeve with referees. The rules change when they've already called a penalty. Once you've got a delayed call coming... You could assault somebody, and they very rarely are going to call the second one. Yeah. And it just it doesn't make any sense to me. The referees missed plenty of calls going the other way last night, too. I thought Minnesota got away with a couple things that were no-brainer calls. I thought the penalty on Rossi that for colliding with a goaltender was a really soft call. But that one you're talking about, it should have been five on three for two minutes, which still should have been the double minor
0: for the high stick against Duhamel, And that's a game-changing moment. And you know, the other thing is like, I mean, wasn't the same play that Steele bumped Yus Soros? I mean, they could have actually called the double minor and off, if they wanted to, offset it with that. Could have. You know, goalie interference on one end and and uh, and the uh, interf- they call it interference removal helmet. That's the way it goes down on the stat sheet. There were two other things in the game that I wanted to rewatch because it bothered me during the game. One that I thought were just wasted chances by the wild one was in the second period they had i believe it was the second period yes um they had such a sustained forecheck that they were able to change four players in the offensive zone and the one exhausted oh, okay. player Dora, i'm gonna guess
1: you i'm gonna guess what happened yeah he just flipped a puck into what soros was he glove thinking when they had yeah. nashville on the
0: run and dog tired yeah. I think it was just a lack of awareness. Yeah, I think it was just a mental mistake. Like, you know, he's exhausted. It was just it was the worst play that he could have done. He totally let Nashville off the hook. And then the other big thing that I uh, talked to a couple of people inside the wild about today that they were pissed off about, too, that bothered me. Honestly, the rest of the game was I don't know if you remember this in the third period. The wild had three or four sustained shifts in a row. It's about six, seven minutes left. Matt Zuccarello comes on the ice, and within two seconds, ices the puck. And for the next five minutes, the Wild were chasing the puck. It was like it was the worst play that he could have made. I don't and remember I, the icing yeah, play. Yeah, and, and it, to me, and I asked a couple of the people with the Wild today, and they 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 talked to him about it. You know, because it really changed everything. And um and to me, it, it was a bit of um um, a trying to come up with the right word. I mean, a symptom of essentially what's been going on with him lately. It it was just another... He is not playing I will say,
1: I thought the game in Nashville in general, I thought was his best game in a while. I thought he was really good in that game. I don't remember the icing play specifically, but I thought he was really good. He made a great play on the Gaudrill goal Mm -hmm. to get the play started. And I I think those guys got the message from Dean after the San Jose game. It was clear that when he was talking after the game about
0: those two guys who hadn't <laughs> yeah. played particularly well, that that was who he was talking about. Yeah. And he admitted uh, before the game yesterday that he has been considering with the coaching staff of splitting them up and things like that. Um, how much pressure do you think is on Caprice up Boldy and Zuccarello right now? Because it sure feels like, um, you know, they've got to do everything. Because as Marcus Felino said after the game last night and, you know, he was pointing the finger at himself There's like no secondary storing on here. So it just feels like there's so much weight on those three skilled players in particular.
1: I think there's for sure pressure on those guys. And a lot of it is self-imposed pressure. Mm -hmm. And I don't, it's strange because normally when you talk about a guy feeling pressure, you're talking about a guy who's in a slump. And I really think with these guys, it's the team in a slump. I really don't think it's them feeling that I haven't, I'm not scoring, so I need to score. I need to score. It's more, man, we aren't scoring. I got to make something happen because we aren't scoring. And the lack of secondary scoring is a problem. In fact, I was talking to your colleague, Joe, in Nashville in the morning, and he was asking me, well, what do you think? Do you think they'll change their lines? And so that, I just don't think there's too far you can go right now. Kaprizov and Zuccarello almost have to stay together. It's your one line that gives you a chance to score. But when you really look at what this club is lacking, you took away Kevin Fiala, 35 goals. You took away Ryan Hartman, 35 goals, 70 goals out of the lineup in those two guys alone. And have replaced them with basically your your minor league call-up guys, your young prospect-type guys. That's almost a goal a night. 70 goals in 82 yeah. games. That's basically a goal well, a night that you're trying well, you're to replace. Well. And then you throw on top of it that you don't have the game-changing line, the momentum-changing line intact with Erickson, Fellino and Greenway, that if your scorers were shut down, you could always lean on those guys. And remember how much those guys played. You were getting 17, 16, 17, 18 minutes a night from those guys sometimes. So that freed up your scorers and freed up your secondary scorers. So... Now, think of how many times last year those guys would end a shift in the offensive zone, and now the Gaudreau boldy and Fiala line gets a start in the offensive zone, or the Hartman-Zuccarello-Kaprizov line gets a start in the offensive zone and against maybe the other team's third D-pair, and that's just not happening. So every shift, your top guns are going against the other team's best. So it's a combination of lacking the two big scorers that have been out of the lineup— or gone, and then not having that momentum-changing line at your disposal. And I i don't think it's – if you looked at it, if you were able to step back, I don't think it should be that surprising that there's some struggle. I don't think anybody saw this much of a struggle coming, yeah. what they're dealing with here over the last five or six games. Well, but it's a reality. Yeah. They're just going to have to find a way to win some games 2-1, to 3-2 to two right now until I think you get that identity line back. I think that changes a lot of things in this lineup.
0: Yeah, um, and it's going to be hard to win games two to one coming up with some of the teams that are coming in here. I mean, you got a pissed off Pittsburgh team coming in that's not playing particularly well. Um, you have teams like the Leafs that's going to score um, yeah, Oilers on this homestand as well um carolina yeah carolina who's you know more of a shutdown type team winnipeg who's been scoring arizona's playing great lately so um there's there's some tough games on this homestand but as i was talking to eric snack about in the locker room today he looked at me and he just looked at me with a serious face he goes this is an important homestand it's an important homestand uh they've got to start winning games uh right now they're 772 and some could say argue that it was the soft part of their schedule um despite the number of road games i mean they were playing some teams that were highly highly beatable and there are 500 team right down the middle right now you mentioned the hartman injury the hartman injury has really screwed this team up i mean it was just not a bright move and i know we're playing the the effect um you know we, we, obviously 20 it's hindsight's 2020 when you know what's going to happen there but he leaves the bench to go fight to um giving up about 6 inches and uh you know Fifty pounds or whatever Um, and it's just messed everything up I mean it really has this team last year hit lightning in a bottle with Hartman finding an incredible fit with Kaprizov and Zuccarello and it allowed everything else depth wise to really fit into place and they found fits and that's one big reason um, besides the victories that uh, led to Dean Evason not changing lines for most of the season now they can't find anything. You have Goudreau, who is not supposed to be a guy that should be on your top line, playing top line minutes now, and it's just messed up everything else up. I think Eriksson X feeling pressure right now. They're getting no scoring, no production from Marco Rossi, um, and obviously same thing with Sam Steele. So it's it's an interesting quandary they're in right now.
1: One injury can change the whole yeah. scope of a lineup, and. But as I was saying earlier, it's been coupled with the other injuries that they were dealing with at the same time, with yeah. Greenway and Duhame and Felino out of the lineup. You're talking about four of maybe your top five guys in your lineup in terms of grit. It's hard to ever look back at a situation like that in hindsight. The same thing could have been said for Dumba's fight a few years ago that ended his season. When you've got guys that bring that kind of edge and energy to the game, it's hard to ever rein them in and say – you, this can't be a part of your game. That's a part of Hartman's game. Last year, he was in 95 penalty minutes to go with his 65 points. He was a physical guy. He was an under-the-skin guy. He was willing to fight. So it's hard to say that it was a, a stupid mistake for him to drop the gloves. In hindsight, without a doubt, you'd say, hey, don't fight because we, you're going to be done for the for the foreseeable future. But... They miss him. They miss him a lot, and somebody is going to have to step up because and maybe it eventually has to be Marco Rossi. So far, he just hasn't been able to create anything and hasn't commanded a higher spot in the lineup. His game's been fine, but it just hasn't brought any electricity offensively.
0: Do you think that Greenway's around the corner, and we have to see if Greenway can stick in a lineup for longer than a game, Um, but do you – you know, Joe's could play center – I mean, do you see a point here where they're going to have to send Marco down just to get the some touches and some, some offense to get his confidence up? Because this isn't good for anybody. I don't know. I, I think his game's been good enough that I would say
1: not necessarily. Mm-hmm. And when you look at what he's playing, he's playing almost 12 minutes a night at even strength, plus a minute or two of special teams time. There aren't very many rookie forwards who play more than that. And he wouldn't be playing that much if the rest of his game wasn't solid. Mm-hmm. So I think his game's been good enough. It you, We were just hoping for more, expecting yeah. to see more. And, and that line
0: with Jordan Shaw had been good. I mean, It
1: had been good. And But he got the opportunity to play with Boldy where it was, hey, let's try to get him a skilled guy and get Boldy a skilled centerman and see if he can't light some kind of a spark with those guys. And it just didn't work. I think maybe you see that again once you have Greenway back in the lineup, and then it goes back to what I was just saying before, where now maybe you can pick some spots where you let those guys do the heavy lifting, and now Boldy and Rossi get some shifts against a little bit more of a beatable defensive pair. They get some more offensive zone starts or something like that to help get their game going. But he clearly right now is a guy that's lacking some offensive confidence. And we haven't seen any of the kind of play that we saw from him during camp and during the preseason, just confident plays with the puck. And I keep thinking maybe all it's going to take is one to find the back of the net, and then you'll see the light bulb go off and the pressure lifted. I thought he had a great start to the game against San Jose in the last game at home, but really didn't generate much in Nashville at all. And And look, we talked at the start of the season, nobody was expecting this guy to match the numbers that Fiala had posted last year. In fact, I think when we talked at the beginning of the season, I said I thought he'd be a half a point a game guy, a 10 and 30 type player, maybe 10 and 40 if things went great. I would have never guessed he'd be sitting with one point at this point in
0: the season. Never, Absolutely. Uh, One of the things that I love about Aquarius Home Services is that they are always growing. Their motto is earning the right to be recommended. And that applies to their associates as well. Many of their new associates come from their employees telling family and friends what a great place it is to work. So guys and gals, if you're looking for a great place to work, a place that has a fantastic work culture, check out Aquarius. They have opportunities in services and sales for water treatment heating and cooling, plumbing, and electrical, and they are looking for great people to join the team. You can also find more information at AquariusHomeServices.com, and don't forget to mention that Russo sent you, and here's a word from Royal Credit Union.
1: Take the checking account challenge from Royal Credit Union. Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royals checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with the Royals mobile app, receive real-time notifications when transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash Royal Challenge, insured by NCUA. Had a couple great meals around our house lately. We had an opportunity with the team on the West Coast and all national TV, or I should say nationally streamed games that put us on the sidelines for a while, but it allowed for some great dinners at home. And one of them that we had that was particularly good featured a couple items from Kowalski's that were new. And one is a new grass-fed, fully organic steak that we tried that was terrific. If you like grass-fed, if you like the cleaner taste to the meat it was good i personally prefer the Akaushi cuts to it but it was it was good to try but the other thing we had that night were their scallops and i know we've talked about these before they've switched to a dry packed fresh never frozen line of scallops and they are incredible we had a, a group over here for dinner and they all raved about them they don't cook down so don't be fooled by the smaller size they're a little sweeter but just have terrific flavor terrific taste Anytime that you're going to entertain, you got to start with the with the best ingredients, and for that, Kowalski's is the place to go.
0: Uh, November twenty first at Tuttle's is our next live show. Hope to see everybody there. Seven p.m. That's right around the corner, right a couple days before Thanksgiving as well. Um, I mentioned Marco Rossi before the break. I was talking to his parents and his girlfriend uh, before the game, last home game, and uh, oh my god, his dad showed me this picture, of this couch that Marco bought for his uh, his apartment. It cost him like 300 bucks and his dad says, I mean, I mean, it's hilarious. Listen to his dad. He's like, where do you think you've got this? And I'm like, you know what Craigslist is? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> it looks to me like something he might've bought down at like university of Minnesota, like bought from like a, some student, you should see this thing. So his parents were going to like try to surprise him with, I think a new couch this week, but he's like, you would not believe what this kid bought. And he showed it. It was just a hysterical kind of moment. Um, what's going on with the power play? Um, Man, it's just like this team has struggled five on five scoring all season long, but they were getting by because their PK, um, because their power play was scoring uh, huge goals every single night. And last game against Nashville, as Dean said, today was a game where they had to get their power play to score a goal for them, obviously in a one goal loss. And it just didn't happen. And today we go to practice, and um, Matt Boldy, who has um, really had five or six tough games in a row in my eyes and has been turning pucks over a lot, of, especially on the power play, um, was not on the number one unit anymore. Freddie Goudreau was. And on the second unit was Matt Boldy, which hopefully actually would help the second unit because that second unit is a total non-entity right now. And uh, and Mason Shaw replaces uh, Jonas Bardeen on the power play going into uh, Thursday's game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think part of that is, I think you're right about
1: Boldy, although he was a big part of the power play success early in the year. He's so good with puck retrievals, so good winning puck battles with his stick along the boards. We'll see how that works out. But I really think a part of it is that there was such an imbalance between power play number one and power play number two that they were so reluctant to even use those guys. And when the first power play was going early in the year, we'd see them for a minute and a half, a minute 40 on some of the power plays. And part of it was because they never gave away the puck. But lately, they've been out there a minute, minute 10. They haven't been able to hold the zone as well, and it's led to some changes. And with that second power play group, they haven't even been able to get the puck in the zone. So why not try something different? We'll see if it works. They need the power play. There's no question about it. There's a lot of parts of the game that have gotten better defensively, penalty killing, but the power play, you have to be able to cash in in a game like that. And right now, at a time like this, where your team is struggling in so many other areas.
0: Um, I shared an elevator ride down to the locker room today with uh, with Tyson Jost, and... Um... Man, he's keeping his head up, but you know he's—you could just tell—he's down in the dumps, and he's going to get into the lineup against Pittsburgh, and he knows he's got to start playing uh, better here because I mean it is—it is. This is a sign, right? I mean, you know, you have guys like Joseph Cramarosa and Adam Beckman, and and uh, Mason Shaw gets you know playing over him, and the Mason Shaw comes up here and earns a job over him, and the one thing that I've been struck by with. um with Mason Shaw and the way Dean Evison talks about him is he always talks about his bite and the energy he brings and things like that. And I think that's the stuff where Tyson Jost, if he's not scoring, he's got to figure out a way, you, you know, a leopard can't change its spots and you can't ask a player to just change the way that he plays, but he's got to figure out a way to bring some jam into his game here. If he's not going to be scoring. And, you know, the the other thing here is you do wonder if at some point you got to throw him on the power play and see if some of his skill can come out. Um, because he hasn't gotten that opportunity since the preseason.
1: Maybe. I also think it's fair to say that he got some opportunities in the lineup and didn't exactly command more ice time, didn't mm-hmm. command some of those opportunities. Shaw wasn't handed those. Shaw came in and has earned this spot on the power play. I like Tyson, and I've, I've always thought he was a guy that was going to score more in the NHL than he has scored Maybe y'all, you never know what sometimes finally triggers something in a player. Mm. And sometimes maybe it's the realization that if I don't make something happen right now, my days are numbered either with this team. I think team, he better have that realization. With, I think so as well. Yeah. But sometimes it ha- you have to be traded. Sometimes you have to be benched. Sometimes you have mm. to be moved down in the lineup. And with him, I've never felt like it was lack of effort. It just, there's just something missing. Yeah. And maybe this will be the, all right, I, he's not going to become Mason Shaw and he shouldn't try to be Mason Shaw, but you have to find a way yeah. to, now I'm back in the lineup. I'm going to play yeah. so hard and play
0: so well that they can't take me out. You know what's interesting is that all this started in Ottawa where he was scratched. And I actually thought in Montreal he worked his absolute butt off and that Sam Steele was the guy that was going to come out in Ottawa. Um you know Steele. if you remember in that Canadians game he took a bad penalty he had a horrible turnover that Fleury had to save the day on and yet he's figured out a way to stay in here so i think both those guys need to figure out a ways to you know add something yeah, here Yeah i think the
1: first scratch had more to do with playing Ottawa yeah. a physical heavy yeah. aggressive in your face team and they thought let's get a guy in that's got a little more bite to him i don't think at that point they were thinking That the reason he's coming out is because of him. It was more, we want Shaw in the lineup that night. Maybe he took it the wrong way. I know that Dean Evison pulled him aside and talked to him. I know Dean's really clear with all these guys. And whether he was better than Steele or more deserving to come out of the lineup than Steele, Bottom line is he had put himself in a spot where he was either forward number eleven mm-hmm. or forward number twelve. Yeah. It wasn't like he had played well enough to be forward number seven, yeah. where now your name's not even in yeah. that discussion. He,
0: you know, he's a lot of pressure on him now because if he wants to stay here, um, he better start playing well, or you know, waivers could be around the corner. Not, I don't think it's at that point yet, but I do think it's something that's an option. And and the Wild, uh, just uh, Wild GM Bill Guerin was just at the GM's meetings. Don't think for a second Tyson Jose uh, name didn't come up let's talk about another player that's been scratched every single night except for one since his thousandth game and that's Alex Goligosky he's supposed to be honored before Saturday's game you think he's gonna be in street clothes when he's honored or think there's a chance he gets in that game boy I don't know
1: that's a tough you're in a spot where there are some things that are bigger than a game and you want to do it right and do justice to it but at the same time if you're Dean Evason and you think that Right now, you got six guys who are playing better. I don't think you can make that, you can't put a guy in the lineup just for a token. And we'll have to wait and see. And right now, their defensemen lately have actually been much better, I think. And mm-hmm. the Dumbo pair was, was analytically their best pair in the Nashville game the other night in terms of expected goals when they were on the ice. I think Spurgeon's been terrific lately. You're not going to take Middleton out of the lineup. Addison's been such a big part of that power play it's hard to take him out of the lineup the only way
0: he plays is if Merrill comes out right and
1: that's and Merrill's been good so it's hard to I know that there have been a couple points in the season where Dean has had discussions that as soon as somebody has a bad night you're back in but then there hasn't really been a guy that's had
0: a terrible night that was worthy of a scratch two more things before we get to Twitter questions um Incident in yesterday's game um, got me thinking about the GM's meetings the last couple of days and uh, pucks over the glass. And, you know, we see so many reviewable things in the NHL right now. You know, hand passes on goals, um, you know, other stoppages on goals, obviously goalie interference, offsides, things like that. There, You know, we saw them uh, reviewing the double minor to Brandon Duhame. Why the F – is puck over the glass, not something, you know, how dumb is it? And I, I don't know if you got a good angle. If, if I know that Ryan Carter, um, was, was adamant on the air that that puck hit the glass and the linesman signaled that puck hit the glass. I never saw a great replay that you guys showed, but how dumb is it that four officials get together and they have like a minute conversation and what could they possibly be saying that couldn't be just fixed by looking at a replay? Well, I,
1: let's go back to the start of the play. First of all, I thought it did go straight out, and I set mm-hmm. it on the air, and I thought from my angle it looked like it went straight over the glass. I, I joked with Karts because he was about six feet to my right, and yeah, he said from anyway. my angle I had a great view of it. And I thought, well, we're only six feet apart, so <laughs> I don't know. But from my angle, I thought it went straight out. I did see the linesman closest By the way, to that it. that was gutsy
0: of you because if it was Carter, if it was me and I was Carter... I would have just popped you right in the face. He would have, he would have been the first person ever hit in the face. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We have a we have a little
1: bit more trust with each other than that. But it the the linesman closest to it immediately signaled huh. that he saw it hit the glass. I don't know what any of the referees saw that they that would have led them to come over and say without a doubt I saw this better than you who was closest to the play. They did. I know that the. I'm going back now to maybe three or four years ago when we had one of our preseason meetings with the NHL and, and the league's broadcasters. And at that time, their explanation for why that wasn't included in reviews or coaches' challenges is because in every arena, the camera placements are slightly different. And there are some spots where you just don't always have the same look. And I remember the follow up question being that, well, the cameras aren't in the same position for everything else that we review, yeah. but they actually are in most cases. Offsides, they have the blue line cameras, those yeah. are exactly the same. The in net cameras are exactly the same in every building. Yes, some of the game camera looks might be slightly different—the angles, the heights, whatever. But for those pucks, and we didn't have a clear look at the puck over the glass last night. If you remember the replays we showed, it would not have helped. It couldn't have helped. So, but that went back to why, to me, the linesman closest to it said he thought it hit the glass. What anybody else saw that led them to believe that? they for sure knew it didn't is bizarre to me because let's just say that you could review that there's nothing that we showed that would have allowed you to overturn it. Right. But if you were reviewing it because it had been called that it hit the glass and let's look at it, you would have had to stay with the call that it hit right. the glass. So that, that part was interesting. And when we, I was asked, I wanted to ask Dean that today, and we got interrupted and moved on to other things before I could ask him what the explanation was for why the referee said that he knew it hadn't made contact with the glass. I guess it's hard to say. We'll never know. We I don't did think get
0: interrupted that- because Dean was on a roll talking about he was but
1: what unfortunately what happened was the writers showed up because he was on a roll before the writers came sickman no the writers sickman
0: ended it i i got him talking about the about the uh the helmet thing we were already we had already
1: covered that we he was on a roll because i said hey before in fact i even had said before we get in front of the because i it wasn't the writers i said it because the camera guy wasn't there yet said, hey, before the camera guy gets here, can I just ask you about a couple of the calls last night? And he started rolling. It was terrific. And then I think it was then Aaron Sickman saying, uh, we better tone it down because there was another writer there who I didn't recognize today, and I think Aaron was worried that he wasn't yeah, going to understand that this was off yeah, the record that we hadn't yeah, I don't, started. I don't yet. know who
0: that was. That was bizarre. Um, oh, that's exactly what happened. You're right, because Aaron looked at me. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um what was I was gonna say oh you know what i wanted to say about going back to the ryan carter uh anthony lapanta haha that happened on the air last night is i was hoping it was going to be that remember that video i sent you a couple of weeks ago of the brooklyn nets and it was the brooklyn nets uh game did you see this knowing no. you you never even opened it i, I almost want to play this no on doubt i opened it. uh you're no doubt on, I you were just so obnoxious and and just well, every way so um <laughs> So it was the Brooklyn Nets, uh, Boston Celtics game, and the announcers got into a huge fight on the air. The for the opposite teams, or I, no, no, else no was from no, the, the same two, team. Like two of the tag teams. I don't know if it was Brooklyn or if it was. I, I almost want to play this on the air. Let's see if I can. Let's see if I can put this in the microphone here. A very patronizing tone towards me. I fully understand what a slip screen is. I've been doing the NBA for 18 years, but the way you presented it initially was gobbledygook. So like the audience, I wanted you to come back and explain yourself. And you then just took a firing line on me. And it was uncalled for. I don't think so. That's exactly what happened. You are overly sensitive. I I am not. Did you have a bad day today? (laughs) So this would be just like you and me at dinner, actually. Um, that's was, what I was hoping that you and Karts were about to do there well, when you said, "Oh, you're six feet away in a sarcastic tone." <laughs> well, I was only saying it because of the fact that he said
1: I had a great angle of it. Yeah, and I looked at him because we basically had the same angle, yep. and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have ever said well, I had a great angle of it. I thought the puck went clearly out of play, but I think anytime I hear announcers like that, I actually agree with the analyst in that spot who said, I think you're being overly sensitive. And because there are so many times where I feel in a broadcast, I might have an opinion about what's happening on the ice or execution of a play or anything else. I didn't play in the NHL. So it carries more weight if I let Wes Walls or Ryan Carter or Tim Laudner or Roy Smalley or Glenn Perkins or whoever might be my partner that night, let them be the ones to tell mm-hmm. you why or how it just happened. Even if I'm, well, I'm let me just tell you one thing I know the answer, yeah. I'm still gonna tee them up in a way yeah. that I'd rather have right. the analyst describe yeah. a slip screen. Let Ryan Carter describe the penalty kill coverage or whatever, mm-hmm.
0: because that's their job. Well, You have shot yourself in the eye with a cork. I have. You have put Margot's contacts in your eyes. You got hit with a golf ball in your eye. I trust Ryan Carter's vision over you. And by the way, (laughs) that was... I did even say
1: on the air, if you remember right, he threw out his vision, and I said, look, nobody is questioning who has better
0: eyes up here. (laughs) Um, By the way, that was courtesy of either... Brooklyn Nets or Boston Celtics TV. I, I think that gets me out of being sued for playing that on the air. I think that's how the legal legalese works. Um, before we get to Twitter questions, actually, before we get to another break, um, a couple other things I want to talk to you about. Uh, Ryan Reeves is available. Uh, New York Rangers, um, they have to make a roster move coming up here. Some have speculated, uh, New York Post speculated that maybe he's on, he could be put on waivers. Some teams are thinking, trying to trade the Wild Wilder undersized team that's not very physical last year they traded for nick delorier because bill Guerin thought that they weren't rugged enough if he thought they weren't rugged enough last year there's no way he thinks they're rugged enough this year um ryan reeves from watching him opening night is still the toughest guy in the league but he can't really get to the hits as much this year Um, which i think he can still play i'm not saying i think it's a guy that i'd go target
1: I know Marcus Fellino would be happy if he didn't have to fight him yeah, again. I asked yeah. him after when he fought him in
0: Game Two yeah. that
1: year or that opening picture night that Minnesota. Uh,
0: Aaron yeah. uh, Aaron took from the Star Tribune one viral. It was an unbelievable shot of him getting punched. Yeah, and it was.
1: I asked him the next day. I said, "Is he at the top of the list?" He said, there, "I don't think there's anybody tougher in the league." Yeah, and he's he's he is the heavyweight in the NHL right now.
0: All right, let's get to Twitter questions. Uh, Charming Chad wants to know: Should the Wild bring up Jesper Wallstadt? Uh, to help with the team's scoring troubles? No. You, you didn't get the joke? I did get the joke. Oh, that's I'm, funny, though. I, I'm, that's I, funny. The answer was no. I, don't you think he... There, I would think that Wallstaff probably has as good a chance to score as some of the forwards on this team right now. I disagree. But um, Wallstead's not coming up. And, be,
1: and it's I think interesting that was because... It was a joke, but I think it's, inter- it's interesting timing because they are calling a goalie up. Zane McIntyre's coming, and... I know there were a lot of people that were saying, hey, maybe it's time to bring Wallstead up. It's not. He's Walstead's going to play in Iowa all season, and unless something absolutely bizarre happens in the NHL, we won't see Wallstead till next year.
0: Uh, Marty asks, uh, breaking up Zuccarello and Kaprizov seems inevitable. We talked about how you don't think that's actually a move that they maybe – uh, would be prudent just because of the lack of scoring on this team. Uh, he asked. Uh, the Wilds also seem to toy with the idea of Boldy at center. Do you think that we could see a line where Boldy centers the two?
1: We see it in the first shift after a penalty kill, and that's about it. I don't think long term that's where they where they see this work going. I, I really think I still believe that by the second half of this season, where this lineup will will land eventually will be Rossi playing with Boldy, will be Ericssonek playing with Felino and Greenway, will be Zucarello and Kaprizov together. And then the question becomes does Freddie Goudreau stay in that spot on the top group? Does he land on a line with Rossi and Boldy and, and you try somebody else there? I really think the only way this team has success down the stretch is a threat in the playoffs, is if a secondary scoring line emerges. And I think the best chance of that happening is if your secondary scoring line includes Boldy and Rossi.
0: Uh, Rock NHL says, is it just me or does there seem to be way too much concern for the Wild? There's no way they're missing the playoffs, right? I don't think there's way too much concern. I think this is probably the prudent amount of concern at this point.
1: Yeah, I think there's concern because of a couple things that have happened. I I think there's concern first and foremost because – You've lost Ryan Hartman, yeah, who was a sixty-five point ninety-five penalty minute guy. You don't know about Jordan Greenway. I think they're trying to be patient with him to get him back. It looks like he's on the right track, but the guy's played one period all season. You just have no way of knowing. So, if well, Greenway, the game in
0: LA too, but apparently after the game it was not good.
1: Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So he's one game since coming back, but it's so he's had a game in a period, and I think you've got a those things to me are reason to be a little bit concerned. I think it's interesting, though, when you look at the West, there are six teams in the Central Division that all went into this season expecting to make the playoffs, not hoping they were going to make the playoffs, expecting to make the playoffs. Then you look at the Pacific Division, and there's at least four teams there, the Calgary-Edmonton, LA, Vegas, those four all expected to make the playoffs. I think with Vancouver, it's safe to say they were a team hoping. Seattle, maybe a team that was hoping. Anaheim and San Jose, probably not. Chicago and Arizona, probably not. But still, that's the point just being there's 10 teams that came into the season fully expecting to be playoff teams. Well, that means there's going to be a couple teams that, even in a good situation, wind up on the outside looking in. So I don't think you take anything for granted, and I don't think it's fair to look at this wild team and say it's a no-brainer that they'll make the playoffs. I still think they're a playoff team. I still think if they can get healthy, that they're the second or third best team in the Central Division. But can they get healthy is the big question. And I'm not sure they can't.
0: Certain years, you can't. You know, I'm working a story on Vegas right now. Sat down with Kelly McCrimmon and Jack Eichel and Jonathan Marsh. So the other day Um, in Vegas, um, of course, they've lost twice since. So it's kind of screwing that story up. Um, But but they were even talking about I mean, you know, people forget the Vegas Gold Knights last year at the All-Star game was first in the NHL. And they had this first wave of injuries that they overcame. The second wave of injuries they couldn't. Of their 576 man games last year, 300 were to top six forwards. Top, they, were, they were top four D in their goalie. Right. Um, a little and, and of that misleading because
1: they traded for a guy when they knew he was hurt. Right. Okay. And so that throws yep. that number. I mean, yep. they, that was not a luck of the draw thing. Good point.
0: Um, but my my point is, is that you know the best you have these grand plans every single year to build your team, and one or two injuries could throw a complete wrench in it. And we're seeing it; just feels like right now the Wild can't catch a break. And this is obviously going to be uh, now an unbelievable opportunity for Gustafson.
1: Well, right, that, that's true. But think about where the Wild were, say a week and a half ago. They didn't have Ryan Hartman, Marcus Foligno, Jordan Greenway, Brandon Duhaime. That's four of their top ten forwards. Even if you count Duhame as a fourth line guy, it's still four of your top ten. Go take four out of the top ten from any contender in the Western Conference and see how much they score, and see if all of a sudden you've got a fan base talking about a goal star of team. And so take four of the top ten and think about what those. We're not just saying, well, yeah, but those four. It's not like they're taking all stars. It's your first line center. It was your two wingers on your best defensive line. That's a big chunk of a team. So take away four out of 10 from anybody, and I'll guarantee you that they're sitting in the same spot Mm -hmm. the Wild are. And on one hand, you look at the Wild, and yes, it's been a a soft part of the schedule in terms of opponents. I don't think they've beaten a good team yet. At the same time, nobody's running away from them. They're two games Mm -hmm. behind the first place team in the division, and they've dealt with maybe they've dealt
0: with their worst injury bug injury stretch of the season. We don't know. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, by the way, Jake Sanderson, two assists this week, Anthony. Um, if you're like most people, you've been wondering if the real estate market is going to crash. I was just wondering about Jake Sanderson. That's terrific news. <laughs> I said that because I had you activate him on my fantasy team. This <laughs> I'm aware. Um, I'm just saying most of the listeners probably I know. thought that was a I left thought, turn. I know. I just think it was funny. Sometimes you need the inside jokes. Right. Um, I got it. So anyway, uh, if you're like most people, you've been wondering if the real estate market is going to crash. Well, I went right to the expert Chris Lundahl, and asked him. Chris started in 2009. And as we all know, there were, there were absolutely similar tensions back then. So I want to know where we were headed. Here's what Chris told me. The supply of homes would have have to outweigh demand, not be at all-time lows for a crash to happen. The average days on the market would need to spike as well. If you look right now, houses are sitting on the market longer. Prices are being cut a lot too, but the seasons and market have both been shifting. So hard to say if the sky is falling. Number one thing that people can control right now is their equity being at all-time highs. Homeowners that want to guarantee that they keep their equity need to be proactive now, not wait until it's too late, which is why so many are coming to Chris at KLRE for their guaranteed offer program. It's a great hedge against high inflation and interest rates, vaporizing people's equity. Request your no obligation guaranteed offer right now by going to chrislindall.com. Terms and conditions apply. There you go. Here's a word from Bosch Law Firm.
1: Hey, hockey fans, Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call is always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Great place to go hang out and watch a hockey game is the Ice House at Fogarty Arena. It's a great new restaurant, great spot. If you're out there for a high school game or a youth game, youth tournament, stop in and Grab a cocktail or grab some uh, lunch or breakfast before or after games. But it's also a great place to go catch the Minnesota Wild, on a, even if you're not out there for a game yourself. It's right connected to the arena. It overlooks the curling rinks there. It's a great spot with a solid menu. Check it out. It's the Ice House at Fogarty Arena.
0: So um, where to go right now? Boy, well, Bruce Boudreaux is being uh, under the gun there. How about this whole, like, it's like Jim Rutherford just keeps going on the radio taking pot shots at the coaching, at the structure of the team. They're, everybody, Every insider, which obviously uh, means that they're in the know, is talking that it's just a matter of when Bruce is fired. There was a report today that Andrew Burnett could be uh, leaving New Jersey's bench and going there because he was um, – you know somebody that was that that talked to them before about an assistant coaching job, not a head coaching job. That was before Mike Yo got the job. I have trouble believing that a team that's won ten straight that Andrew Burnett would bail on them, and one that Tom Fitzgerald would give permission to talk now. Um, but man, Bruce Although is in I trouble. Oh, I thought
1: somebody told me that Andrew Burnett had a deal he that does. he could leave he if can, it was for a but head usually, coaching opportunity. He
0: can, but usually, what you would do to that guy that want that said if Vancouver called and asked for permission is you go to Bruno and say, look. We've won ten in a row. We're in season. How about I throw you a sweetener? How about I make you, you know, some promise that you're, you know, some sort of like you stay. Um, but you're right. He does have a clause in his contract, reportedly, for that opportunity. But usually, that would happen after a season.
1: So, but if you're him and you now are looking, you got a taste of being a head coach last year, had success clearly until the playoffs, and now you got a chance if. The Vancouver Canucks called and said, "Hey, we'll give you four years or a five-year deal. Where now you know that you're there. There was one thing he didn't have in Florida, where it was a uh, the interim situation. It's hard to ever turn your back. You just don't know when the next head coaching opportunity is going to come. And I'm sure he has a decent relationship with Mike Yo
0: from days gone by. Well, so they're it, from the same area,
1: also in Ontario. Right. So but I think he also it, has it, a
0: decent conversation uh, relationship with. Bruce Boudreaux. So, he does, know. but
1: that you, coaches never think yeah. about it. You can't pass on jobs because you like the guy
0: that got fired. The guy was getting fired anyway. It isn't like you came in yeah. and called heck, up the, heck, do you remember Bruce Boudreaux actually flew to Anaheim while Randy Carlyle was coaching a game and was in Anaheim and he got fired after the game. And then that's when Bruce took over in Anaheim. So, the, yeah, this stuff happens. You're right. Uh, Russo Slacks wants to know, with Fleury's injury, would you rather see it as a backup, Gorg or, or Greenlight? Hmm, well, that's
1: interesting. It would depend. If I would just wanted a guy to take a puck off a Melon, maybe I'd say Gorg. If I was trying to win the game, I'd say Greenlay. He can still do the splits. He's still a,
0: I know. a limber guy. Plus, In my charity Darby Hendrickson game a couple years ago, my Hendrickson Foundation, when I was coaching, quote unquote, I and was you were emceeing, Yeah, uh, he won like eleven to ten uh, against Connor uh, Beaupre. Yeah, that's true. I I would I would take I'd take Mike Greenlay. I the I should say I coached. Us to an eleven okay, ten victory. Go, Me, Joe Maurer, Matt Cook was on my team. Mark Parrish and Greenlay. Yeah, you probably had a you had, a, you had some a good systems that night. You had a loaded but roster. I also I some plays. I called timeouts. I'll I, go I Greenlay too guys. for
1: this reason. I would love to see Greenlay's response to criticism of his play from the fans. Oh, that would be good. That would be good, especially Noah. Right. Noah. Noah could come back. Hockey yeah. mom could come back. We'd ha- we'd have some fun with that. I, I did. Know. It was great. I had a, I had a photo memory show up on my phone that was a screenshot of <laughs> of one of his responses. I sent it to him and I said, "Man, I these were the good old days." Yeah. But I also sent him another one. There was this little sign at my barber shop that had a stick figure, and it was the the line was something like. I don't come to your place of work and tell you how to do your job. And the stick figure guy had a scissors like <laughs> up as a weapon. I sent it to Mike and said, for some reason, you came to mind here. And yeah, it's yeah. We had some we had some great fun, and I I joke One about it. One of my it, favorite but.
0: Mike Greenway moments was that that first game at dinner uh, in Chicago when we went to that little Italian restaurant by the Weston and the Ritz there and uh you, oh yeah you're right yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he got the portion for like a por- little kid's meal yeah <laughs> like a no he ordered a gnocchi dish that was like six gnocchis it was like for 50 bucks you and i got these massive portions right Our and wine his came was, in a bowl yeah. that
1: was the size of like a garbage can cover yeah. and it had six gnocchi yeah.
0: things in the middle and he and, was, and the bill like between us was like 300 it was big. that's right it was definitely like the most expensive meal and, and it was the least expensive meal of the season marco i'm just <laughs> kidding it was definitely yeah, that
1: one was good we had some good moments with with mike over the years and it's still it's a good friend of mine we yeah. still are in contact quite often another but, great
0: mike greenlay moment was at the at the italian restaurant in dallas when he put the wine glass down and he broke, broke it.
1: a glass there three times in four years
0: <laughs> he like puts the wine glass down and it just cracks in his
1: hand yeah and and the next broke... time it was like the stem fell off he broke three glasses there <laughs> in four years and the the fourth when we were there the fourth time and he broke a glass again, he actually argued with the waitress that their glasses were flawed. And she said, oh, I've never seen anybody break one before. Man. And we told her that this was the third one he had broken. And she looked at him like, are you seriously questioning our
0: glasses when you've broken three of them now? <laughs> You're- it's like the uh, Seinfeld episode, the big bulbous head uh, scene. It's like it's your giant hand that's breaking these glasses. Uh, Wild Boys wants to know any free agent goalies would, would you sign for depth now with Flurry Out on new? Um, I would think that any goalie that's still available is probably about 800 pounds. Um, ben Hurdle wants to know if Twitter were to crumble, what's your backup plan to produce great on demand coverage of the team? I don't even know of any other social media platform that. I mean, is there a, are there other like Twitter lights out there? You're asking me. Yeah, you probably don't even know what's going on with Twitter. I don't know what's going on, with, other than I read
1: a, I saw the thing where you might have to pay for your blue check mark.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's. Uh, I think people have paid. Margo for Margo asked check. me
1: if I would. Yeah. I think Margo was the one who asked me if I'd pay for it. I said I didn't even try to get the blue check mark the first time yeah. around. It was my boss
0: that. The other thing is like my my checkmark on my thing's white. Is it blue? Or maybe it's I a white no because idea. I have the black. I must have the dark mode, so maybe it's normally blue. Anyway, Jade asks: um, Is Bo Horvat a realistic target for the Wild in the trade? Well, I have market? a white checkmark on mine too. Do you have it in dark mode? That's probably. I yep, you would do. So I think maybe it goes to white checkmark. Maybe the white checkmark's free and the blue checkmark.
1: It. All right. Well, mark. what if there's a checkmark color for which I have to pay? I won't be. Yeah, paying I will
0: not either. Um, Jade asks, um, "Is Bo Horvat a realistic target for the Wild in the trade market? Um, he'd be great. <laughs> he would be great. And I will.
1: I should preface all these by saying I have spent zero time looking at other teams' rosters, looking at other players' contract status to try to guess which way the Wild might go. This that's really more." We talk about the differences in our jobs quite often. That's so much more in your wheelhouse than mine, yeah, because for me, it even if I knew, I wouldn't say it, I don't need to know until the day of the game when we're going on the air so that I can properly prepare for a broadcast. I, so, I have no oh yeah. I, so I, I really never even speculate only because after the fact, I love talking to guys about. How the negotiations went, or how the trade talks went, who else they might have been thinking about or looking at—that to me is fascinating. But trying to guess, I, I don't even—I don't spend a minute on
0: that. Um, Skyler um, asks if this team is just average and we should just accept it. I mean, they're certainly looking like a bubble team.
1: Well, yeah, def- yeah. average to me is not. I think average would be a team that's going to miss the playoffs. I get it half the league makes the playoffs so by definition the the bottom couple would have to be called average teams. This is a better than average hockey team. I, I believe with the lineup intact they're still they're in the top five to six in the Western Conference for sure. look at where the odds makers had them at the start of the year with the fifth best odds I think in the entire league to win the Stanley Cup that's not an average hockey team. And whether they can stay in that spot with the guys they're missing, that's another question. But this is this is a better-than-average team.
0: Jeff Brown wants to know if you have thoughts on uh, the Gophers-Wolverines series this weekend.
1: I have zero thoughts. I've watched very little gopher hockey. I did watch the weekend that we were home. They played Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. I went to both and those games. I caught one of them, and it, it – I don't know. I I don't know anything about Michigan, so I'd be a.
0: I'll tell you one thing. Minnesota held Notre Dame and maybe three scoring chances the entire weekend. Yeah,
1: that Minnesota was great. But then I did see. And then they go and lose last week. They lost last weekend, right? And so, however. Who beat him last weekend? I'm drawing a black uh, Penn now. State. Penn State. Penn State beat Michigan yeah. the either the weekend before or the weekend after when Michigan was ranked yeah. number one. Some uh, of those uh, guys are really they, good. They've got I mean, a,
0: Matty Nyes, um, I'm telling you, this uh Cooley's uh, a great player. Snow Road. Holy crap, can he shoot the puck? And I I obviously we've talked about yeah. Brock Faber
1: before. I like his game a lot. I, I think there's they've got a ton of talent there. It looks like a legit contender, but I don't know anything about Michigan, so I wouldn't even know, I wouldn't have a guess.
0: Uh, Nick Tierhar asks, um, Nick Tierhar's uh, uh, avatar almost looks like Chris McAlpine, but I just blew it up, and it's actually Dean Everson as a player. Wow, Dean Everson and Chris McAlpine look alike, um, at least back then. Um, anyway, uh, Nick Tierhar asks, um, I acknowledge that this is getting ahead of, our, ahead of things, but if the Wild are out of a playoff spot near the deadline, should they be sellers? And if so, who would she be shopped? I mean, obviously, it would be the UFAs, Dumba, and players like that. Um, maybe you go to Goose. Um, I don't I don't know if there's – like, he's not training Foligno, um, you know, p- players like that. No, um, those would be the know, only guys. Yeah.
1: But if you are clearly out of the playoffs, I think every team becomes a seller.
0: Yeah. Um, since wants to know uh, what allowed flurry to turn it around from his abysmal start different defense structure Flurry getting back to basics i mean you know he went back to work we saw it in practice his mom um france who he leans on a lot especially since his father passed away a couple years ago uh, came into town i think really settled down his mind a while that day off after he had took family pictures around town with his mom and his kids and his wife i just think he kind of you know he's been the one thing about Marc-Andre Fleury is that throughout his career there have been hairy moments where he's given up a lot of goals even in the playoffs and he always seems to find a way out of it so I think that while maybe all of us were looking at him and panicking um, he uh, obviously uh, realized that he could you know still play this position so
1: the team structure got better without a doubt and we actually have a graphic that we're going to show tomorrow night in the broadcast, well, it'll be the Thursday game against Pittsburgh, that the first four games of the year compared to the last 12, they're about four shots on goal a game down. They're about a high danger chance and a half per game down. And right now, we can talk a lot about the lack of scoring and everything else, but we've always said that the best way to sustain – Good hockey for long periods of time is with structure and defense. And over the course of this entire season, the Devils are the only team in the league that gives up fewer high-danger chances five-on-five than the Wild. And that includes those first four games where their structure looked like a mess. And if you're giving up seven-and-three-quarter high-danger chances a night, you're going to have success. And then you throw on top of it that you've had goaltenders that have been playing pretty well Their save percentage over the last 12 games is 93-and-a-half. You can win with that.
0: A little cross-promotion. I did the Athletic Hockey Show today, and we had Devils GM uh, Tom Fitzgerald on. They have won 10 in a row, 13-and-3. That team has just been really good. Nico, he is just one of the best players in the league. Yes, for Brad, Dougie Hamilton's having a great year. Uh, So they look legit so far um also by the way uh, my uh, another podcast straight from the source i had wall on yesterday about his goalie goal and so much stuff what a thoughtful thoughtful athlete a couple more questions before we wrap up the show before our november 21st 7 p.m uh podcast at tuttles please come on down uh, G wants to know mintowny is the Twitter name. Uh, when did Jordan Greenway originally get injured? The whole saga has been so confusing and there zero transparency. Well, I mean his original shoulder injury happened last year in Ottawa and then he ha- heard it again at the end of the year. Um, then he had a multiple, uh, issues this off season. He came back his first shift against Oliver Ekman Larson. He checked him and heard it, heard it again. They say different injury, same shoulder. And then he came back against LA. Then afterwards, the way that it's been told to me is that, you know, a lot of it, um, was it just didn't feel right. Um, you know, I do think that a lot of it might be mental here. He hasn't had a lot of practice battle drills, and then you you know, not feeling right after a game. So I don't you know, I think on a lot of issues, there is very little transparency with injuries within the wild, but I think this one's been pretty transparent. We know what the injury is, and we know what's going on
1: and I just always worry anytime that you start talking about guys that have had, this kind of battle with injury is you know what guys do when they're worried about something is you end up potentially putting another body part or even another part of the same body part in at risk because you're favoring it you're protecting it you're this knee doesn't feel quite right so you're turning differently and pushing off differently and I just I hope that's not the case with jordan i hope that that we're not dealing with something that's just going to continue to linger all season yeah long.
0: especially after a three-year three million dollar extension uh coming into this year um some more promotion uh got a jake middleton feature coming out i think thanksgiving um although some things I, that story just keeps on getting pushed back because other things that are going on right now with Philip Gustafson getting the nets for a while. Um, I'm working on a, a probably a co byline feature on Philip Gustafson that will run at some point next week with uh, Joe Smith. Um, I'm also working on a big Mike Madano feature right now that will run in early December in our NHL 99 project. And by the way, Mike Madano has a much bigger role this year in hockey ops with the wild. He's been scouting games in Arizona and things like that, especially to get more involved uh, in the in the in um, in you know after the holidays also working on a fun story with joe smith right now where we're talking to every single wild player about the meetings of their numbers and there's some great stories about their uniform numbers and uh all sorts of things uh last question of the pod thomas wood wants to know who you and i have met at a couple of our podcasts he was down in mankato i believe mankato or rochester or something like that um wants to know if you two didn't have the jobs you do what would you be doing anthony Wow. That's an
1: interesting question. And it's actually a discussion we just had the other night because Margo's and my, worried. Answer, no, my answer to Margo was, we were talking about some paths in life and, and there were some times where we had no idea if this was going to work or not. and and the truth of the matter is, when I told her that, I said, there were a couple nights I thought, well, geez, I don't know if this is ever going to work, but I don't know what the hell else I'd do anyway. So I'm not sure. We'd find something and it would not be nearly as satisfied. I don't know. I'd, maybe now I'd be able to go try to get a job as a cook or something, which would be, it's, I'd be underqualified for that. But it's, I, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm, let's just say I'm thankful that I have the job that I have every single day.
0: Yeah, and me. I mean, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a play-by-play guy. I still don't know really how I wound up in this this uh, position as a writer because I still can't write. Um, but uh, I don't know what I'd be doing now. I mean, I, I would love to stay in hockey in some capacity, whether it's uh, – Working for a team or, or something? Well, I will
1: say my original plan I, was that if it didn't work out, I wanted to be a high school teacher and a football coach. And I, my major in college was a teaching major in social science mm-hmm. just for that reason. So I guess maybe that's what I'd... If, if it would have failed a few years back, a lot of years back, that's probably where I would have gone. If tomorrow I had to go find a new job, that would be a different story. I, I don't know what I, I would know.
0: do. I don't know. Maybe an actor. I met John – well, I've actually met him a couple times, but was, John Hamm was at the Vegas game the other night in the press box because he was a crazy, crazy blues fan, and so we were chatting between periods. What a cool dude. Um, and he was awesome in Curb your enthusiasm the last season or the season I before. I thought he was great, but
1: that's another profession for which I would not be talented yeah. enough.
0: Um, I think that's it. Anything else? Sounds good to me. But Maybe we'll be professional podcasters in our next uh, no, careers. Not? Yeah, uh, anybody can podcast. Um, All right, November 21st, our next live show, November 21st, 7 p.m., Everybody needs to come on out. I think Jody Anderson, uh, who wrote the Hockey Moms book, uh, aren't crazy. She's going to come on for a couple minutes and just give away one of her book. I'm actually going to bring some wild calendars that were uh, some giveaways at Wild Games. I'll bring them to give away as well. So we will have a bunch of giveaways. At cleaned out your uh, closet podcast. again, huh? Yeah, pretty much. Um, Aquarius Home Services, your installers of Connecticut water treatment systems, plumbing, heating, and cooling. We thank you. We thank Royal Credit Union. Kowalski's, Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Bosch Law Firm, and Moe's Tavern. Talk to you next week, Anthony.
1: So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win. Oh, but
0: the world won't forgive a winner. By the way, that was gutsy of you, because if it was Carter, if it was me and I was Carter... I would have just popped you right in the face. He would he would have been the first person ever hit in the face.